friend? Talk radio? Yes, talk radio. So boring, man. Okay. Just in front of Jay Pandolfo. Cosby's back on. Derek England off the defense, moves the puck to center. Here's Cosby with a burst of speed up the middle, gets up and scores! Welcome back, Sid! December 9th, 2019, I am James Cole, and uh, this is the Laced Up Hockey Podcast. Just gonna get every last drop out of that can. Uh, I'm Brutes Pataglia from the north side. I'm, I'm pouring a drink right now. Nice. Yeah. Drink guy. Yeah, well, whatever. Any yeah. chance it's a uh, hot butter rum? Yeah, we got to talk about that, I guess. Eh? You having a hot butter rum right now, buddy? No, I'm having a, a, a gin cucumber Caesar. It's quite nice. Probably quite, re- quite refreshing. Probably the better choice. Uh, than the hot butter rum, for sure. Hot butter rum. Get want, this, folks. You want to tell that one? Yeah, yeah get this. <laughs> Take the lead on that um, one there. Uh, oh, this laced up hockey podcast. Did I you said that. that. Okay. Yeah, yeah no. you're, I always. I never yeah, listen to you. That's fair. <laughs> had a had a woman this evening order a drink. Uh, called the hot butter rum. Yeah, why don't you tell us about that? Well, when you first hear it, you you kind of think, ooh, like you know, butterscotch ripple, or you know, some, something along those lines. You know, you kind of get an idea mentally of what it might involve. Um, and I'm here to tell you, it takes a pretty sharp left turn after that because yep. uh, what this woman wanted in reality was a cup of hot water, a teaspoon of butter. And two shots of rum. Hopefully, she's not a fan of Lace Up Hockey podcast because she's oh, getting God. she's getting roasted right now. She's never come back to the uh, establishment. Actually, she's probably ro- she probably is roasted right now. To be honest with you, because you got to be pretty toasted to order a drink like that. I think no. It's just like you know what? I- I'm not going to judge it too much because like you know there was the whole situation about her. Um, you know, maybe not liking the original recipe and like. Oh, Maybe the original recipe drink is is fine because it's mixed with like spices and shit like that. You said normally, right? Yeah. What was it? Brown sugar. Brown sugar, cinnamon, cinnamon, vanilla, nutmeg, vanilla. Like like maybe when you mix those all together, certain maybe sure. maybe it's maybe it is good. Well, you put butter, cinnamon, nutmeg, vanilla in anything. That's that a cake. actually sound delicious. That's <laughs> a cake. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, there's a good chance that that is a good drink. But she just asked for like the plain gin, the water, the butter, the the rum, the scalding now, hot now, water. Now here's what I don't understand: is typically when people make modifications to a drink that make it less delicious, it's for dietary restrictions. 
I'm telling you, the nutmeg is the least of your fucking problems in that drink when you're drinking a stick of butter. Like, you're drinking rum, you're drinking a stick of butter, you're drinking water, you're telling me you're worried about the fucking nutmeg and the way that that's gonna sit in your your arteries? Like, you know what I mean? There's no good reason for her not wanting the spices in this drink, other than she's psychotic. Maybe she's allergic to sweet things. The sweet things in life. Okay. Yeah. What's the butter doing in there? Like, butter is one of those things that under no circumstances should we ever fucking consume. I'm not really? Gonna, I'm not going to lie to you. Really? Like, I'm, I'm, um, I'm not a big shot guy. I, I don't go to the bar and like order a bunch okay. of shots. Sure. I'd probably rather just shoot rum <laughs> than drink that. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. That's wild. Yeah. yeah. No, it, and it, it was just like, it was watching the butter get stirred. I don't know. Melting in the scalding I'm hot not, water. I'm not a butter guy. Like I don't, yeah. I don't hate butter, but like, I, I'll tell you this right now. Uh, I don't know if we have butter in my house. Yeah, I don't know. It, there might be some here. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. I don't like, use it. Like to the point where, like, I had to go ask the kitchen for, like, hey, do you guys have any butter? <laughs> yeah. What do you want? You want whipped butter? You want uh, melted butter? You want? Uh, it doesn't matter. Just give me a fucking <laughs> teaspoon of butter. Make a difference. Yeah. Um, it's kind of fucked up. So yeah, hot butter rum, the uh, the new holiday favorite, the official drink of laced up. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Actually, um, when you mix it all together, the drink kind of looks yellow like our logo. Okay. So that's good. Then. There you go. Yeah. Uh, do uh, do please uh, tweet at us your uh, craziest uh, drink concoctions uh, that you enjoy during uh, the holiday season, and uh, see if it's uh, you know worth us talking about on next episode. Oh yeah, and I was going to mention this too. Uh, James and I were having a little conversation tonight. Uh, recently, I have started. Uh, I got another little job right now. I've been uh, bartending with James at the establishment that that he works at, and I noticed in the back room at the restaurant that we have uh, an interesting music selection mm. that perhaps is left over from the previous regime of what used to be in there. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name any names here, but but what I will say is there are CDs back there. You got the Ali McBeal soundtrack, sure. two different seasons. Mm. Uh, you got Jamiroquai. Former uh-huh. Grammy uh-huh. winner, I think. Yeah. Hot ticket. Um, maybe former Juno artist winner, but I, I I confuse him with Remy Shand, so I don't know. Um, Gloria S. Estefan CD. Yeah. Uh, Seal. Beautiful. But what was most interesting to me was Ricky Martin's Live in La Vida Loca is back there. Now, a banger of a song, I, I will say this, but... It is a little shocking to see a Ricky Martin CD in what will soon be 2020. Yeah, you know, no, you're not wrong. And I, I think just to clarify your uh, your your belief system here about it being left over from the previous regime, um, I can confidently uh, tell you that uh, we don't use CDs for the soundtrack anymore. So I don't even know. Wow, like, who's touching those? So it's possible. We have an online radio system that we use. Those CDs haven't. Isn't haven't... it crazy to think that at some point, maybe like when you when when that restaurant got renovated twenty years ago, that it was a CD system, and that probably like six or seven years ago, they're like, yeah, let's let's put a let's put a radio system in here, you know, like more of like an online sort of thing. Yeah. But at no point did it occur to someone to take the fucking three. 
three CD holders. Oh, where, like, there's like funny. 35 CDs in that fucking yeah. thing. I'm just reading you what I could read there. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm miss, like a, probably missing some names in there. Some sort of contingency plan in case, like, the radio station goes down and then... What are we gonna play? We got oh, here's Ricky. You'd Martin. be better off closing the restaurant than putting Gloria Stefan's not very successful like 1994 album on there. Probably more successful just like putting your phone on shuffle and just putting it in the middle of the restaurant and hoping for the best. You'd be better off with Muzak, just random fucking just, like elevator music. Just the sounds of the establishment. Just the clinking of glasses, the shuffling of plates, the soft, subtle sobbing of a recently departed husband. Wow. Um, Hold Me, Throw Me, Kiss Me was uh, Gloria Stefan's 1994 album. Uh, it was her 17th... No, that can't be right. Huh? It is the 5th... I'm going to read you this sentence, okay? According to Wikipedia... Hold Me, Throw Me, Kiss Me is the fifth studio album and first cover album released by American singer Gloria Estefan, but is the seventeenth overall, and was released in twenty was released in October nineteen ninety four. What does that mean? So it was seventeenth overall, but it was the seventeenth cover album released overall. But it said it was the first, <laughs> like the first, the seventeenth ever cover album in the history of time. Maybe she's got like twelve. Live albums. <laughs> How good is her concerts? <laughs> like, I know she hosted their or fucking... She was a musical guest at the Super Bowl, the halftime show. Maybe some compilations. This album, maybe I don't some, know. Some good vibrations. Actually, you know what? I was chirping this album for maybe not High being... High vibrations? Uh, this first album not being... Oh, wait. Because it's a cover album. I was like... She doesn't sing... <laughs> She doesn't sing Turn the Beat Around. I was like, wow, this is a fucking banger of an album. And it's like, I know all these songs. Yeah, because she didn't write any of them. Okay. Gloria Stefan. No, but the reason I was going to ask you is uh, I was going to say, if you're a listener of Laced Up Hockey Podcast and you want us to use Live in La Vida Loca uh, or anything, I guess, off of Gloria Stefan's 1994 album Hold Me, Throw Me, Kiss Me as our intro to the podcast uh, text... Six two one two four seven nine, and either hashtag Estefan or hashtag Living La Vida Loca, if that's uh, something that you're interested in. Yeah, I'm not checking my phone for the next. Week. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Well, what, do we, what do we got? What's going well, on? Uh, what, what's new with you? Did you did you watch anything this week? Anything interesting or what? What's going what on? Did I watch this week? I watched something. Um, I finished The Irishman. Nice. Took you all week. <laughs> Fuck, the second half's way better than the first half. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. How good is Joe Pesci? Joe Pesci's the man. Apparently a shoe-in for an Academy Award nomination. Thank, thank yeah. God. Yeah. Big fan for that. Let's do it. I gotta tell you, too, uh, I'm really excited for the first time in years to watch this year's field of potential Oscar-nominated movies. Holy shit, does uh, this field look good this year. Yeah. Eh? Yeah. Good. A lot of good stuff. By the looks of things, mm-hmm. have you have you haven't gone to see Knives Out yet? Have you? I have not. We should go. Yes, we should all go. I'd go. Let's all go to the theater. Let's all go to the lobby. <laughs> Let's. Uh, I, I know you're not a big Simpsons guy, but there is a joke where Mr. Burns is like uh, taking over the media in Springfield, and I, I think it's just because he's so rich and he wants his like childhood bear back. 
it's a weird kind of fucking plot line, but it's a great episode. And uh, he, like, you go to the theater and you watch him, and he's doing the "Let's All Go to the Lobby" commercial, and he's dancing around with like a fucking like one guy dressed as Milk Duds, and one, you know, it's great. Milk Duds. It's a good joke. There you go. Okay. You Milk Dud guy at the theater? Uh, no. Milk Duds and popcorn ever? You ever done that? Just no, no. Okay. No. Just I've pop- never done it either. Just, just, just popcorn. Okay. Just popcorn. Just- I, I'm not gonna lie to you. I. I'm one of the people that gets the beers at the at the theaters now. Yeah, I haven't been there since. That's yeah. a thing. I got to tell you, I'm gonna. I was like, "Fuck!" I'd have a couple beers during oh, Knives Out. That's the thing. Like, I'm, <laughs> I remember when they announced it, and I like, I know there's people that were like, "This is so stupid." There's enough problems with the city, and I'm just like, "Yeah, but the people will do what they want." And I'm like, I'm at, at no point that I think I would be the guy getting the beer, but I thought it's good that people can get the beer. And I went to the movie, and I I got a beer. Gotta tell you, James, so. been to the theater. Uh, haven't been there since they started serving beers. I've drank in that theater before, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, we so. all have. That's why they finally figured... You have too, yeah? Oh, yeah. They yeah. finally figured out, like, hey, people are doing it. Let's charge them. I drank a Mickey of Captain Morgan when I was, like, eight, nine, 18, 19, watching Limitless at the theater. Limitless? I got fucked up during that movie. It was great. Uh, well, you didn't need the rum to do it, I can tell you that. So... <laughs> It made me enjoy the movie a little bit more because I felt like I was limitless at the time. I'm like, yo, yeah, like I, I, I know what he's talking about. Like I, I, I picking up what you're putting down here, Bradley Cooper. I got you. Man, I think they're putting a little Captain Morgan in that pill. <laughs> Bradley Cooper like walks 18 blocks in like three seconds. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> been there. I just, yeah, I, I could do that right now too. I was last night at the foundry. Yeah, yes. there we go. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Uh, I was in the middle of a triple header there. I'm sure. Ooh, beautiful. Um, no, I didn't watch anything this week. I, I didn't really. Okay. It was a busy week, you know, exam season, and uh, that's season, done. That's yeah. done now. So I'm I'm on holidays, Good. I guess. Oh, congratulations! Not from work or you know my responsibilities. Yeah, I was life. gonna. Just, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm gonna call it a holiday. So okay. Well, good. I'm glad. Glad yeah. you're enjoying it. Yeah. Um, you know who's not enjoying this week? Mm. Hmm. John Hines. Hmm. Because uh, yeah. he uh, he lost his job. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's kind of a holiday. That's kind of a, a little bit of a sabbatical. Some sort of time I'll, off. I, I will say this. I bet you he's in a better mood tomorrow than he was last Monday or Tuesday. You know. Like, I, I, I things were reaching a boiling point there in New Jersey. And it's probably a little bit of a weight off his shoulders, I would think. It could be. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's... It's, um, it's nice to see a coach get fired for legitimate <laughs> hockey reasons for once this That was season, a good so. spot to pause in, too. It's nice yeah. to hear a coach get fired. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Heinz is, Heinz is out. Uh, Heinz. Alain Nasruddin, is, uh, he's in. Yeah. He's, he's you know what's kind of cool about Alain Nasruddin getting that team is the fact that I kind of thought Alain Nasruddin was still playing in the American Hockey League. And I just found out that he is he's not on an NHL coaching staff, right, and he's, he's now an NHL head coach. Is is he head coach? Or is he interim? He's interim. Oh, okay, interim. Yeah. Yeah. I, to I, to me, I don't. I, don't, I I get the difference. I just I don't. You're the guy <laughs> running the bench. For once now. once Craig Berube lifted the cup, we all I, went. Yeah. I, we I, I gotta tell you, thing. James, the way things are going nowadays, mm. I think every coach is an interim head coach. I don't really think head coaches exist that much anymore. Everyone is just going to get fired as soon as their team loses five or six in a row, probably, and that's wow. just where we're at. Okay. So, 
you know. It's exciting. Yeah. It's I mean, you, you, you know what? Like, at the end of the day, I, I understand this firing. I, I, I don't... I don't agree with it in a sense. What I will say about the firing is that, you know, the New Jersey Devils fan base had clearly got to a point where, you know, Fire Hines is the only sort of chant that you're hearing in the Prudential Center at this point. You know, that's the only thing that the fans seem to be able to fucking agree on in that fan base right now. And, you know, it's kind of pathetic watching tons of empty seats on television chant Fire Hines. But, you know, this is where we're at. Honestly, that's impressive. And, and yeah, it's a, to me, to me, it's a joke. Like, I, I think right now the guys, the people that are going to their game games, you know, they're paying money to get in, and I understand that uh, that they're frustrated. But the way that they're voicing their frustration, I think, is honestly hurting the team more than it's helping any sort of decision-making. Where I'm at with this firing is that I think in, in no uncertain terms that the Devils sort of allowed themselves to get bullied into making this decision in a way because if they genuinely believe that John Hines is the problem with the team then it's time for a complete and total fucking teardown of that front office because this team that has been iced for John Hines to try to put together some sort of a win on a nightly basis since he got hired in 2015 is a fucking joke he has had absolute trash after trash after trash roster to try to work with he was fortunate when he got the job that he had an absolute stud of a goaltender in Corey schneider at the time and Corey schneider is no longer Corey schneider as we know him he's now in the american hockey league hopefully he gets back to his form because i like the dude a lot but it's very doubtful because of the hip injuries he's had at his age it really doesn't seem likely that Corey Schneider is ever going to be Corey Schneider again. So the the issue is that Heinz had horrible teams, but a good goaltender. The teams got a little better, but still not playoff worthy. And then now he had an absolute anchor in his net that was weighing the team down in Schneider. You know, Keith Kincaid had that run. They got to the playoffs. Taylor Hall wins a Hart Trophy. Everything was great that year. And they made the most of it. And to me, part of that had to do with John Hines. Part of that had to do with him keeping this team positive, keeping them focused. I've never heard a bad thing about John Hines as a coach. His players used to rave for him. Uh, everyone in that organization said that they would you know, take a bullet for him in a way. And somehow we got to this point where now John Hines is, is the guy you blame. And I understand that. You know, I, I get... That we are where we are, you know, his record with the team doesn't look that great. But I think that's more to do with the product that he's been given. And I'm not necessarily blaming Ray Shiro, but I think Ray Shiro is getting to the point now with this team where I'm really starting to wonder what it is he's actually done there. Um, You know, he got P.K. Subban at a discount, I'll give him that. But right now, P.K. Subban looks like a defenseman who should be traded at a discounted rate. He doesn't look like the same P.K. Subban that should have won the Norris a couple years ago. You know, this team doesn't look very good. They haven't for a while. And to me, I don't think that that's John Hines. To me, I think that this is a completely flawed hockey team that gets churned out in similar fashion year after year. This is a team that kept giving Stefan Nazan a job year after year. And giving him, you know, 
16 minutes a night because he is in reality one of their better forwards but is he good no you know and 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 it was tons of guys like this you know you go on on devil's twitter and they won't shut up about kevin rooney but i watch kevin rooney play i look at kevin rooney's numbers and i think who the who are we talking about here who the fuck is kevin rooney this is where the devils are at right now is, you know, I've been there and I can understand this insanity is because I was a Toronto Maple Leaf fan in the late 2000s that wanted to buy a Boyd Devereaux jersey. This is this is what it is. It's the same thing. This is a team that can't get over the hump because there's no direction there and my problem isn't with John Hines. My problem is with Ray Shiro. Yeah, and, and you know what? That's... Not a bad, you know, take as far as you know where the Devils are at this at this point. I, I, I think that they're, you know, like you talked about the PK Subban trade, and and uh, there is, you know, something to be said about you know I, I don't think Ray Shiro sat in his hands this off season and did nothing. I think he saw the fact that he was going to get Jack Hughes, he was going to have one good year, you know, one last hurrah of Taylor Hall to you know try to keep him around. Uh, Nico Heischer is an unbelievable hockey player. He's, He's a good player. very underrated. Yeah, it's not to say it's not to say that they're at the point. Like like uh, to just to kind of clarify what I mean too. Like I'm not saying Nico Heischer's bad or that Jack Hughes is going to be bad or anything like that. What I'm saying is this is a team that hasn't had depth of any kind and even the top end talent has been kind of spotty, you know. Sure. But because I mean yeah. one of the best players they've had in the last that John Hines ever had to work with was an 18-year-old version of Nico Heischer and a 19-year-old version of Nico Heischer. And you know what I mean? Right. A 20-year-old version of Nico Heischer. Like, if Nico Heischer, three versions of him is like one, like three of the top ten players ever had to work with, it's not very good. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, but no, like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I look at that season you talked about, you know, they made the playoffs there in 2018 with uh, MVP season now Taylor Hall. And, you know... That roster really isn't that different than what's there right now. Exactly. And you can make the argument that what's there now might be better. Um, you know, you, you you bring in a you could I wouldn't. Yeah, but you bring you in a number one defenseman. Uh, you bring in a guy like Wayne Simmons who just you know hasn't been who he used to be the last few seasons, and you add a guy like Jack Hughes, and you could say that on paper this team's better than the team that made the playoffs a couple of years ago, but. The, the number one big gaping hole here is that, for some reason, um, you know, the tandem of, of Blackwood and Schneider uh, just couldn't get to this, you know, Keith Kincaid level of goaltending, which is kind of ridiculous to think about mm-hmm. at, at the moment because, I mean, it's not like Keith Kincaid is off starting somewhere else. Like, he's a reputable backup goaltender. He's, he's fine. You know, he does the job, but... To carry a team the way I don't even did. know. Like, did he get put on waivers, or is he just in the press box right now for Montreal? Kincaid. He he got placed on waivers. He cleared. Yeah. I don't know if he went down to the minors or if they just okay. you know held on to him. But um, yeah, I'm just curious. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like his career took off because of that playoff run. He just he had a good season, and it is what it is. And that that's goaltending. That's yeah. voodoo, right? More so, more more Hammond than sure. Bennington, right? Right. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know, like. I, I think it was time with with Hines. Um, I don't think he was given the fair shake 
I, I that's would, exactly I, what I, know, I, I, I would agree with that. I agree with you there, but like, I don't think he was given the first shake. But on the other hand, you know how many guys get to coach a Hart Trophy winner in, in a season? Well, only one guy every year, right? And it, he had one, and it didn't it didn't really work out for whatever reason. And I don't think it's his fault. Um, I think he's going to be fine. Like I think he'll bounce back and, and land on his feet somewhere else. I hope I hope he does. Um, yeah, I think this is a really, really good hockey coach that lost his job. Yeah, but you look at like you. you look at Nazardine and the first three games. You know they've, they've they haven't won yet under mm-hmm. him. This isn't a good hockey team. It's a flawed hockey team. Yeah, I, I don't flawed. think it matters who's behind the bench at this point. It's it's not going to go no. well. And, and and that's the thing. Like you know, I I want to sit here and say that this is completely unfair to John Hines, but in a way, this is probably the best thing that they could have done for him is free him from this fucking burden of this roster and you know that that doesn't make the decision right but in another way I'm kind of happy with for John Hines because like there's a very decent chance that you know Jim Montgomery gets canned in Dallas and John Hines is there by the end of the year or you know what I mean there's a number of teams right now that I don't think there are many teams that are really that close to firing their head coach but there are teams in the league right now where I look at who they've got and and I think John Hines can make them a better team compared to what's on their roster and what they're actually doing. You know, there are a few teams in the league where I would say they have a weaker roster than the New Jersey Devils. Yeah. And coming into the year, like that that was the one thing that kind of bugged me is there were a lot of people I think that overrated this team and, and the improvements that they made and you know, I, I genuinely believed that they were gonna get close to a playoff spot. I think I put them fourth or fifth in that division but I never saw them being a legitimate threat and I think anyone who did was completely overrating what they did this offseason on a recency bias of well they got P.K. Subban Jack Hughes should be a superstar and it's like well yeah P.K. Subban's 30 coming off injuries playing in a new system can he adjust Jack Hughes is 18 not very sized you know not doesn't look like he's going to be a player that's going to blow up immediately he's gonna take some time so to me i i think this is just a situation where the expectations got overblown and john hines is a guy who's got to hit the hit the you know take the brunt of it and it's unfair yeah. yeah um one thing i will say about this team and this this may play into your uh you know notion of of is ray Shiro the right guy but um this is going to be a really good team pretty soon i think anyway um there, well, there's a lot of cap space coming off yeah uh jack hughes like for all his you know faults about the slow start and everything like that like he is going to be a dynamic player in this league and you know maybe by the end of the year once he gets his groove and gets going here he does strike me as someone who's going to be a second half guy yeah and, he's had and, and flashes you, you look at so you look at it and you go like you got hughes at one and he should two and you're going to have a top top five draft pick this year in a pretty good draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything starts to kind of go, you know, this is going to be a real young, real exciting team in a year, you know, in the five, mm-hmm. three to five year window. Well, and, and what I would say on that, though, is is I agree with you in the sense that the potential is there, but you got to know what to do with, with what you're given. And are you going to go the route where... You know, you're going to be the Lightning or you're going to be the Leafs and, and be a team that 
can make do with the draft choices they're given and the and the options that they're given or are you going to be a, an Edmonton Oilers team and you're going to squander the opportunities that you have and we're going to be talking five years from now where it's still Heischer and Hughes and and whoever poor kid they take this year and not much else around it you know like is that where we're going to be at in a few years or is this going to be a team where you know the talent seems to grow on trees, and they're they're picking guys in the fourth and fifth round that they can turn into something. Yeah, and even once they're there, they know how to use their talent. You know, and that's yeah. the difference. Yeah. Well, I think a big part of it, and this kind of leads into our next point, is is um, what they might get for Taylor Hall. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's kind of unfortunate to me in a way because I want I just want Taylor Hall to be able to settle down somewhere and just do his thing. And you mean win lotteries. Exactly. Yeah. And yes, I mean that's that's the problem, is that if the Devils trade Hall then they don't win. They, they don't get that get top five pick. They're, not they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna finish last and somehow find a way to pick twelfth. <laughs> you know. But um yeah, I don't I don't know, like uh, to me all I'm really cheering for with Taylor Hall is for him to find a spot where he's happy because I do like the guy and I want him to be successful and I think he's a ridiculously talented hockey player, but you know, we're talking about a guy that just turned 27 years old here, and and you know, at, at at some point, he's going to be no, he just turned 28, and at some point, you know, I I just I want to see him be successful. I want him to find a home, is mm. what I'm saying, a home. Yeah. And so, where does he get traded? There's been conversations that St. Louis is apparently interested in him what it is that they could potentially do to acquire him is kind of more so where I'm a little bit skeptical on them. You know, teams have talked, there's been suggestions of Montreal. There's been suggestions of Toronto. There's been suggestions of Philadelphia. And realistically, I don't really understand how any of those three teams could A, fit them under their current cap, cap structure, or B, give up assets to acquire him. Because, you know, if we're talking Montreal, there are names they don't want to give up that are going to need to be involved. If we're talking to Toronto, then, well, how the fuck are you fitting them under the cap? And same thing goes with Philadelphia for both of those options, right? Yeah. So, you know, I think I I buy the conversation of Colorado. I, I, I think that that makes complete sense. I think that there's a potential to sign him long term because I've mentioned on this podcast, I think that that is a destination that right now, if you're a Hall or if you were a Tavares or uh, an Eric Carlson, this is a team that makes complete sense. This is a wagon that you want to hitch your star to right now because. This is a team that has all the young talent in the world. they got the cap space to pay you. If you're a guy going there, you don't have to be the guy. And it's in a market where, you know, Colorado's nice. They have dedicated fans. It's not super high pressure, but they love their team. I think it's a perfect fit for a guy like Taylor Hall to maybe sign long-term. But even if he doesn't want to sign long-term, I think short-term... He fits right in on that roster. They use their speed, and that's his game. Yeah, um, I, I, I don't, I don't like, I don't hate the Colorado Avalanche argument. I think there's a lot of, a lot of sense there. Um, I'll say this much: 
I don't think there's any chance in hell. That, I, I don't think it, it doesn't matter where Taylor Hall goes. He's not resigning. He is hitting free agency on July. 1st. I, I, I no, I agree with you there and, too. But there needs to be some degree of a possibility of you re- being able to resign him. I think to trade for him too, because you know you're going to pay out the ass to get him. And see, that's that's where I think this is not helping the Devils out. I, I think a lot of teams are going to sit there and go, "Listen, there's no way this guy's going to sign with us." Why am I going to give you my first and my best prospect in the roster guy right now? I'll give you a couple seconds, and I'll give you a guy that might help you in, in you know the next three to five in three to five years. But I'm not paying out the ass for Taylor Hall because I'm not going to have Taylor Hall in six months. So I, I think the windows are a lot larger well, than than I think people give it credit for. And I look at the Montreal Canadiens as an example of that. And you're right; there are guys that they don't want to give up, but they're not going to have to give up those guys to get Taylor Hall, as far as I'm concerned, because realistically I just don't think the market's there unless unless a bidding war the devils would do themselves no favor I think to wait on this one I think we've learned now that the trade deadline and to wait your time you know it doesn't seem to work out that often Mark Stone was an anomaly you're talking about a you know an incredibly unique hockey player there Mm -hmm. so and you know there are still people that argue that they lost that fucking trade which is uh, they might lose it but it doesn't mean Ottawa got nothing um you know i i think that there's something to be said about the fact of if you're a colorado or you're a calgary or you're whoever trying to get involved right now i think it does you better than to wait the long term because if the trade doesn't work out in the short term it's really going to snowball in terms of your team's reaction where if you're colorado and you acquire him on december 15th and you go eight, eight, and two the next fucking eighteen games. Well, you still have so many games to kind of try to find a way to get everything back on track, to get Hall fitting in, to make sure everything works out. And you know, to me, that's that's an important thing. Um, no, def definitely, I, I agree with that take for sure. Um, it's gonna be tough. Like I don't know. Like I, I personally, I. I think Colorado is the leading, you know, candidate here, and uh, it's it's. I'm not going to sit here and, and, and say that it's not. I, I just like I like the idea that they're this isn't as as open and shut as people are kind of making it out to be. Um, well, one thing too that I think helps New Jersey is New Jersey does themselves no favors by not allowing teams to discuss a contract with Taylor Hall either. Right. Because I think if you know it's kind of well. You know, you're going to trade for him and see what happens. Or, you know, this is what he's saying he wants for a contract. Like, there needs to be a direct conversation between Joe Sackick and Taylor Hall's agent. And who's... Is it Darren Ferris? Darren Ferris. Uh, You know, there there needs to be a direct conversation between Joe Sackick and Darren Ferris. Or there needs to be a direct conversation, Brad Tree Living, to Darren Ferris. And, you know, wherever it is he goes, they need to make sure that maybe there's a at least a possibility of getting that deal done. Because even if Darren Ferris tells you he'd be open to signing there, but it's going to be more of a let's see where it goes type thing, that's good enough for me. I think if I'm a team trying to acquire him, if if I can sell you on my city in the next six months, I'll take my chances. Sure. With a guy like Taylor Hall, anyway. Yeah, I think Taylor Hall's a good enough player to take your chance. You, you know, one team that I'd, I'd like to see kind of happen for a few different reasons. Sure. That does have... <laughs> no... That does have the cap space. Yeah. 
How about uh, how about we send uh, Taylor Hall across the river here and have him hook up with his old buddy Jordan Eberle in uh, Long Island? Hmm. First place team right there. Wouldn't they like to take the next step? Yeah, it'd be good if they had someone who could hang on to the puck, and Taylor Hall does do that, so that'd be good for them, yeah. for sure. I don't mind that. You know, him and Everly hooking up again. I don't know. I, I, I Again, I, I do agree my, with you. My, I think Colorado is the leading candidate My worst here, nightmare, but... in a way, is a Edmonton-New York Islander Cup final in which I'm cheering for neither team, but also cheering for the Islanders, who I hate because I want them to slay the dragon in terms of the Everly and Hall thing. Oh, okay, okay. Well, now, what do you make of the uh, return to Edmonton yeah. in the off season? Yeah, I was hoping you would mention that. I, uh, I don't, I don't. <laughs> sure, I'm, I'm in a minority here. I, I would imagine, but I'm of the mind. I wouldn't be incredibly shocked if the deal was done in principle, and he said, "I'm not reporting. I'll, I'll see you in June." Because I wouldn't fucking go. I wouldn't even go. You're going to get paid anyway. Sit out the year. Run out the clock. Fuck that. You you did everything for that fucking franchise and got treated by like absolute dirt by everyone in that fucking city other than maybe your teammates and the organization. And I don't even know that for sure. Oh, it's a different management group now, so we at least know that that's It is, but over. to me, they ran you out of town and you should never, ever, ever go back there. Okay. I think he's above that, and I think he knows it. Okay. Because Taylor Hall, I like one thing I do like about Taylor Hall. I think Taylor Hall's a guy who kind of thinks similar to me. I think he would, if I if I were him, fuck that. Okay. Fuck well, that. Just just let me let me say a few words here. Sure. For you. Real, real short and sweet. Um, you're Taylor Hall. I'm the Edmonton Oilers. Hey Taylor, here's fourteen million dollars. Sure. Does that change your mind? How about 15? Does 15 change your mind? Yeah. They got a lot of money to play with this summer. They could... I, I think they yes, could outbid yes anybody. Yes and no. Yes and no. They're gonna, they would have a, a, an incredible amount of money tied up in in several players kind of thing oh, if they did no, that definitely. right. definitely. It, it's not the greatest way to like, run a team, like, but if, if they want it. If everyone wants to say the Leafs are in cap trouble, which I don't think that they are, you couldn't even begin to define cap trouble until you think about if the Edmonton Oilers gave Taylor Hall, or anyone for that matter, over $10 million a year. They don't have the money to be giving anyone that much money. They do, but they don't. You know, the whole problem with that team is depth. They can't They can't seem to find depth, and they're paying guys fucking 4 or $5 million. Imagine how fucking bad they could do if everyone they're paying makes minimum fucking league minimum. Oh, you know, worked for Sidney Crosby and the Penguins. It 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 kind of did. They had other people though. Look at look at look at Pittsburgh until they got Kessel. Yeah, but to... Kessel was a guy that you were paying that was good. You know, there were other pieces there. If we're talking McDavid, Drysaddle, Hall, and Nugent Hopkins, and then what they've been doing, I I don't buy it. Okay, oh, fair enough. I, I I don't know. I I don't I've think seen he's three be... of those four pieces play together before. Dry Seidel and Hall. Was he there? Yeah. I didn't think he played. Well, he was like season. he was like nineteen. But oh. in any case, I don't think it's going to happen. It is fun to think about because I think that that's a an interesting yeah development. That no, I, are talking I, about. I think that's a fun one. Uh, that is one of I'll put it in the book of 
I will uh, say that I'll never watch hockey again, but I'll obviously watch it the next night type story. Okay. That seems to have, We always get one a year where it's like, yeah, I want to fucking bury my head beneath the sand. But So so one last question then for you. Um, if you are Taylor Hall, and let, let's just let's just kind of put the cap situation in the back burner for a second. Where do I want to play Where do now? you want to go? Where would you go? Right now? No. To it, win a it, cup or, or long term? July 1st. Colorado. Okay. Interesting. Colorado. Okay. He's always seemed to me to be more if, of a, a big market spotlight kind of guy. If I could pick a team to try to go and win the cup this year, I'd probably go to Vegas and maybe see if I can cement myself there long term, but they have a pretty difficult cap situation. But if we're talking July 1st, Colorado. For okay. sure. I would yeah, uh, for sure for I me. would lean more towards the Montreal, New York type of uh, I think Calgary'd be up there for me too, but again, cap situation. Yeah. Uh, you he, know. he does love Alberta. He's from Calgary. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Well, we'll keep an eye on that because uh, it is reported that Taylor Hall uh, is uh, potentially uh, to be moved before the Christmas freeze for the roster freeze. It's worth noting we got a good top 10 tonight. We do have a good top 10 tonight. Good top Uh, 10. Stick around. We got a good one. Yeah. Um, From one Alberta. Nah, that doesn't matter. From one former oiler to another. Uh, oh God! <laughs> Milan that's, Lucic. That's icky to think about. Uh, for those playing at home, you can X off your bingo card. Milan Lucic has scored a goal. Uh, it's happened. You think people are playing laced up bingo? Well, laced I, up bingo would be better, but you did. Yeah, oh, you guys good. didn't get them. I don't check the mail. Text six two one two four seven nine. You think my registered address is where I actually live? Come on. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I got four or five of these houses just scattered around Thunder Bay. So Calgary now has officially won the James Neal trade. Then I take it that's that's over. Yeah, we can put that one to bed. Yeah, well, I wish. I thought it was kind of funny this week. Uh, I do have to give a shout out to our friend of the podcast, Mike Wern, on this one um, about how he he sent me a Snapchat of Lucic scoring a goal, and I I you know he he made a joke about how you know look at that guy's face it's, it it says three thousand words or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, I saw that face the other three times he scored a goal with Edmonton. I, I know the face. And then he sends me a Snapchat the next night when Milan Lucic scores again, and he's like, suck on it, Coop. No, I I, I like Milan Lucic a lot. If it were up to me, Milan Lucic would score all of the goals. But he doesn't. And that's sad. See, uh, now, I saw that message. Mm. And I myself, like, I didn't think you liked Milan Lucic. I absolutely love him. What do you like about him? Everything. Well, I mean, I wish he was better at hockey, but I I liked the way he played the game. I thought he was great with Boston, and he was one of the few people on Boston that I actually liked, even though he tormented my team every night. And um, he went to L.A. I thought he was an absolute perfect fit there. Chose to leave which for L.A. was probably a good decision, although, you know, it doesn't really matter nowadays anyway because they got a bunch of problems on that team anyway. But, you know, I was kind of surprised he ever left. And part of me thinks that he would have put together more of a Dustin Brown-esque career had he stayed there. I think he could have stayed a little more productive, but he got paid to leave. So he left. I don't know. I, I, I think he's great, but... In 
the I think the dude's great type terms. Interesting. He's not a great hockey player anymore. No, he's not. Uh, never liked him. Fair. Um, I don't. The game got fast, and he's not fast. That's I, exactly I, it. I was yeah. thinking today about Dion Phaneuf, and just the fact that he's not in the league right now, and how bizarre of a conversation it probably was with him and Alicia over the last couple of years about how like that day is going to come where the league's going to move on from me, and it's going to be sooner rather than later. Because Dion's not a stupid guy; like he he knew that, and how weird it probably is right now with Dion's just hanging out and he's probably not going to get another deal in the NHL ever again and that's just kind of where he's at and Milan is fortunate that you know the Oilers signed him to a fucking massive contract for years ago and he's probably going to be in the league another couple years still and he is another guy that if it weren't for that big deal you know he's a forward he's fortunate in that sense but he'd probably be on a one year one mill type deal right now and cutting it for six eight minutes a night somewhere but he makes six million a year you got to try to get whatever you can out of that six mil and he plays more than he probably should but that's the way the game goes it's just the way the cookie crumbles sometimes you might say um what is this bruce almighty Oh, I was going to say his, his career. That's the way the cookie crumbles. I was going to say his career is crumbling. But, B-E-A beautiful. You know what's not B-E-A beautiful is him out there on the ice. Boom. That's not a, not a pleasant looking fellow. Woo! A few <laughs> drinks tonight, boys. Okay. A couple drinks. Um, a few sellies. How many, uh, how many goals does Milan end the season with now? He's up to two. He's on fire. Do I want to Do I want to go hot take route here? I'll say ten. I'm going to say 10. So the Oilers get their draft pick. Is that a thing? I thought he had to like hit 10 in, in that was part of the trade. <laughs> there was some crazy condition. I got to look it up. Come on. Oh, it's it's. Wild. Are you kidding me? No. I, I, Actually, I, I, I just had their cap friendly open. No, obviously, I had the Oilers. Um, That's fucked. Okay. Yeah, I hear this. If you want to have a prediction about how many goals Milan Lucic will get, text 6212479, hashtag Lucic goal race, and give us your predictions. Standard texting rates to apply. (laughs) Um, James may ask you for a $20 e-charge, e-transfer charge. charge. Here's the condition on the 2020 third round pick that the Flames would acquire from the Oilers. Milan Lucic needs to score at 8.08 of the second period in their February 4th matchup against the New Jersey Devils to unlock the pick. If James Neal scores 21 goals... Gonna happen. And Milan Lucic scores 10 fewer goals than Neal, the Flames will receive a third-round pick. 10 fewer. So if Neal gets... So once Neal gets to 21... So if, if Neal gets 20... Five and Lucic gets eleven. The Flames get a Flames get pick. a pick. If Neil gets twenty, that's actually a nice kicker for the Flames. If, the, if Neil gets twenty, then they don't get a pick. So all the Oilers have to do is once Neil hits twenty, mm-hmm. cut back that ice time. Which or keep an eye on the Lucic, which race. might be hard because uh, they only seem to give ice time to three players, and two of them are gonna. Burnout pretty soon, so yeah. yeah this is gonna be, this could be a fun little 
you know, because imagine that end of the season, last game of the year, Flames versus Oilers, they're sitting like nine goals apart. Gotta, <laughs> what do the Oilers do? I gotta check their schedules right now. Oilers pull their goalie, or allow Lucic to score, uh, get the gap back under. It'd be or... even funnier if neither of them are in a playoff picture by then, and the oh, game's wow. just a fucking shit show. You know, also an option. Yeah. The last game of the season, they play each other. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> it's at the uh, what? What is it now? The what's the what's the Saddle Dome called now? The Pengrove Saddle Dome? Not anymore, eh? I hope not. Scotiabank, Scotiabank Saddle Dome still? Yeah. Fuck, that building is a shithole. Not great. No, oh, they're building a new ring. I guess we can mention that. A new taxpayers, taxpayers are paying, uh, what is it, $270 billion or something? I don't think they're getting uh, charged that much, actually. I think they worked on a nice little deal with the... Uh, it's t- I think it's $260 million. What the pa- taxpayers just, are doing? Yeah, I just thought $270 billion ah. sounded funny. Well, you know what they did? The Flames convinced... Billions the, uh, and billions... The Flames convinced the uh, Stampede to get involved. And uh, then everyone in Calgary went, we love the Stampede. We'll give you all the money in the world for the Stampede. Is that real? Yeah, it, it's going to be yeah, a, cool. a, a dual kind of venue where the Stampede cool. can take place in the summer and the Flames can... Yeah, so... You, uh, you ever been to the Stampede? No. Would you ever go? I don't know why I would. They, it might be nice to check out, but they, like... They I, drink I, a I lot. Know, I don't know if I'd go for the Stampede. It'd be like... If I'm in Calgary and the yeah. Stampede's going on, I I'll think check it I out. think it's enough that I would go if there was another kicker, like a big concert, like yeah, yeah, like fucking. Who do I like that still tours? The Stones. <laughs> so it's got to be this summer because I I don't know how many more they got left. Oh no, Mick is down. This is a hypothetical. <laughs> the Mark Marin bit. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm down. Stampede? What do you think? 2020? No. Okay. 2020 World Juniors. Red oh, Alberta. yeah. Fuck, there. I gotta start saving. Yeah. Sam doesn't live in uh, Alberta anymore, so we don't have anywhere to stay. Fuck, so. this trip's getting expensive. Yeah. If you're looking to crowdfund Laced Up's uh, trip to the 2020 World... Well, I guess 2021 World Junior, technically. Uh, text 629... That's not a number. Six two one two four seven nine, uh, hashtag laced up does the world juniors, and <laughs> James will give you his e transfer information. Beautiful. Um, we have a trade to announce. Uh, what? Uh, Chandler Stevenson. Oh right, went to the Vegas Golden Knights. Fuck this. Uh, these Caesars fifth, are hitting pretty for good for a fifth round pick. Mm hmm. And. Uh, you thought it was an odd trade. It's peculiar because he's uh, a decent player, and I just I don't I don't like like Washington to me a little bit in the front office is kind of I'm a little skeptical about what they've been doing lately. Like I, I don't hate the Niskanen for Gudis trade, although I would say Niskanen has been decent in Philadelphia and Gudis is been a little sketchy here and there in Washington, but I don't hate it. What I think is weird is giving Garnet Hathaway four years and giving Richard Ponick four years, but not hesitating to give Chandler Stevenson away to a team that, in my opinion, regardless of where they are in the standings right now, you're kind of competing for a Stanley Cup uh, with them. Um Stevenson had uh, four points in 24 games with the Capitals at the time of the trade. Um, 
I I don't know. I don't love the guy. I, I don't think he's all that special. Um, I thought a fifth round pick was, you know, maybe maybe you go as high as a third, but it's fifth is fine. I, th- I thought. Um, I don't know. Um, he scored in his Vegas debut, so maybe there is something there that uh, he's a good player. We're not seeing. Yeah, there's something uh, there. Okay. Um, yeah, well, uh, I'll put him in my Pontus Aber group of players where I think, having watched him play, that he doesn't get enough credit. I think he's a better player than people give him credit for. Okay. Well, that's fine. Put him in the right situation. He'll be good. I'd like to see him in a full season, but, you know. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Um, okay. Yeah, well, I, thought you, I thought you were going to tell me, like, a trade was coming through. Oh. Like, Adam Henrique to the Florida Panthers or something. I hope not. Um, Could they make that work under the salary cap? We'll file the Stevenson trade uh, under uh, things to check back on later. Um, Speaking of things to check back on later, how's Ross Johnston's season going? I couldn't say. Remember the first episode? You guys remember the first episode? We talked about Ross Johnston. No, I remember. I just kind of forgot. No, I just does everyone at home remember? Oh. This is where you shout into the microphone. If you remember the Ross Johnston bit on Laced Up's opener episode, please text uh, James's number that you should have added by this point of the episode. He's already matched his goal total from last season. Two? Um, One. Um, Fuck, gave him too much credit. However, uh, he's yet to record an assist, which he had three last year. So, uh, not contributing much. He's getting more ice time, though, for some reason. (laughs) <laughs> how much Eight, twelve a night it's up Eight, 17 12. seconds <laughs> imagine wasting a fucking lineup spot on a fucking guy to play him 8-12 a night Unreal. Uh, the guy's got a 16.7 shooting percentage so just watch your mouth there yeah I will okay so I, I think we're into our top 10 now uh, we top kinda, 10 we kind of yeah, sped through that. Top uh, ten? No, that's fine. The top content. ten's not going to be quick. No, this is going to be a fun. This is going to be a long one. So all, all month long for the month of December, yeah. the uh, Lace Up Podcast is going to take a take a moment at the end of every episode and kind of reflect back at uh, the end of every episode. There's a good chance that all of these top tens are going to be longer than the rest of the episode. Yeah, but it's at the end, though. My statement wasn't incorrect. I guess. Yeah. Um, and we're going to take take a look back at the previous decade. And just kind of go over some of the highlights and some of the things we liked and some of the things we didn't like. I would say we're at like Act 2 of what is still an Act 3 or 3 Act podcast, but... that's Again, it's not really the point. It's still at the end of the podcast. It is the end of the podcast. I think we're at Act 2. This is the the last topic of the podcast. So this is the end of... This is it. This is... It's over. Go home. (laughs) Don't don't say that. We put a lot of fucking work into this top 10. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're going to go back and we're going to revisit things uh, this, this decade. Um, and uh, we're going to start off this week with our top 10 franchise-changing moments um, from the 2010s. Uh, some of these affect more than one team. And uh, Burtz and I kind of see different Did things. Did Burtz? Burtz. Burtz? You got to stop drinking. <laughs> You're not going to make it through this last segment. Woo! Um. Yeah, so we, we have some, some differing opinions on how these things played out, but yeah, nonetheless, sure. we got uh, we got ten events here and how they changed uh, franchises, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse, uh, over the last ten years. 
Mm -hmm. So, uh, let's get it uh, fired up. We're going to take you all the way back, do this in chronological order, to uh, June 9th, 2010. Um, do you know what happened June 9th, 2010 there, Brutes? Yeah. Yeah. Um, a little guy named uh, Patrick Kane scored a goal for the Chicago Blackhawks and ended a 62-year drought to win Chicago Stanley Cup. What's remarkable on this list, I think, is the amount of times we're going to talk about a coaching change mid-season. And the Philadelphia Flyers made a coaching change mid-season and ended up going to the Stanley Cup Final, losing Game 6 against the Chicago Blackhawks uh, in a year where they fired John Stevens and hired Peter Laviolette, who we now know was a great Philadelphia Flyers head coach, is doing a great job in, in Nashville for the most part uh, leading up into this year. Um but but my thought on this was, you know, we go back 2010. The Flyers lose against Chicago. Kane scores a goal, ends a drought. Now, what it does is it starts... It starts the Blackhawks dynasty, in a way. You know, this is kind of the moment where they get over the hump, for sure. They're there. They're an elite team. They move on. The cap kind of screws them and they make the adjustments and, you know, they still end up winning two cups in the next few years. To me, what's different about it, though, is the Philadelphia Flyers on the other end of the ice. You know, you can always make the argument with the team that loses in the cup final that year, you know, what decisions would they have made and what what would have gone differently had they won the Stanley Cup. But the Flyers are one of those teams that, you know, we look at them now and we're at the end of 2019 and we take a look at where they sit in the standings what the makeup of their roster is. And I don't see a way that the Flyers are even remotely close uh, to their construction now or even five years ago if they win the Stanley Cup that year. And you can make the argument, too, if they don't get to the Cup Final, you know, what goes on with this team otherwise. But they were, they were a few goals away from this franchise being defined a completely different way. Now, they lose in that game. The next year they go on, they lose in the second round. And after they lose in the second round, they trade Mike Richards, who was the captain of the team at the time, and they trade Jeff Carter, who had led the team in goals on multiple occasions to that point. Uh, Richards goes to the Los Angeles Kings. I'd have to pull up the trade again, but as far as I remember it, it was Braden Shen. Wayne Simmons, and maybe a pick for Mike Richards. Um, you know, which obviously we know now that Simmons, that Shen, they were essential parts to the loss, or sorry, to the Philadelphia Flyers moving forward. Um, but at the time of the trade, it was kind of one of those things where you traded your captain, you traded maybe, probably your best player. Um, for younger players, despite, you know, being one year removed from almost winning a Stanley Cup. The, like, at the same time, the Philadelphia, Philadelphia Flyers trade Jeff Carter to the Columbus Blue Jackets for Jakob Voracek, uh, a first-round pick in the 2011 draft, which they used to pick Sean Couturier, and a third-round pick in that draft, which they used to select Nick Cousins, who was also a useful player for them for years. It was by trading their two best forwards at the time 
that the Philadelphia Flyers became what they are today. And, you know, for better or for worse, it's hard to argue that the Flyers even look anything close to a team that made some pretty decent playoff runs, that made, you know, an identity for themselves over the last 10 years. I don't think that happens if they win the cup that year. Now, you can make the argument, too, what is their, what do they look like in net? You know, maybe they don't end up with a top prospect like Carter Hart because maybe things go a different way with their goaltending. You know, maybe they find a guy that isn't Brisgalov. Maybe they don't trade Bobrovsky, and maybe Bobrovsky's there and is settled and is, you know, not the Bobrovsky that we know in Florida right now. Maybe they get time out of him, and maybe he helps backstop them to a to a cup. You know, these are all knee-jerk reactions of a team that needed to make a decision, is what it felt like. A team that needed to go a certain way, and they are what they are now because of that, I think. Yeah. For better uh, or for worse. Paul, yeah, and again, like, this this is something that I, I think we kind of differed on on our take on it. I, I, I look at the Philadelphia Flyers, and... They had two, you know, hundred point seasons. The next two, se- you know, the next two years after mm-hmm. after this cup loss, after you know, squeaking into the playoffs on the last day, and um, you're right. Like you know, cups, cups change everything. Um, once you get one, it's uh, you know, you're not so much worried about what's next. It's mission accomplished, at least for you know a, a year, and. Uh, they could definitely have gone a different way for the Philadelphia Flyers, but I look at a couple of, you know, 100-point teams, and then the lockout comes, and they looked at what they had on their on their organizational depth, and they, and they, I think they made the call that Claude Giroux was the guy, and that Richards and Carter weren't, and I, I don't know if it had as much to do with the 2010 loss as, as, as maybe you do, but, and, and maybe I'm wrong. Uh, it very well could have been. I, I, I think that I can't think of such a bold move, at least in the salary cap era, where if they had have won the, the Stanley Cup, that the next year they trade their two best forwards, is my point. So like next, I, next year, two, two years later? The, the season after they lost in the Cup Final, they traded their two best forwards. Hmm. I, I, I just I can't think of a team that's even... You know what I mean? It's the equivalent of the Kings... Losing in 2015 in the first round, and going out and trading Anzi Kopitar and Jeff Car- and Jeff Carter. Sure, you know, like it, it, it's that's unfathomable if you think about it now. Yeah, and but at the time, like the Kings were a very comparable team to the 2010 Philadelphia Flyers. The only difference is they had a goaltender and a you know, yeah, more reliance on one defenseman than a group. Sure. Yeah, um, and then of course the Stanley Cup championship, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks. They kind of come along and put their stamp on the league. Um, you know, they kind of usher in this little mini dynasty or whatever you want to call it. And um, you know, I, I think by Cup number three, a lot of us were getting kind of tired of the same old story. But I, I think the Chicago Blackhawks were surging themselves as a uh, a popular and a, a powerful force in the NHL was really good for the league. Um, I think the league kind of ran with it and maybe gave them, you know, a dozen or so outdoor games too many. Yeah, I was going to say, but, without the without the Blackhawks winning the Stanley Cup in 2010, 
I'm sure we wouldn't have outdoor games because I've never seen one that didn't involve the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah, and there's something to be said for oversaturation with with the market, and I think that that's what rivalry day. But there's there's no there's Devils, no argument that, that the Blackhawks being you know a successful franchise for the league only benefits the league. Um, and after 62 long years, and I'm going to say this as a Leaf fan, it was nice to see a team get over the hump. You know, it was nice to say that you know these. These old original six franchises that you know are the teams of yesteryear still have it, and the Penguins and you know, yeah, I guess the Red Wings are original six too. Yeah, yeah, you know, it is what it is. But Blackhawks being around, I think, is was was good for all this decade. Miles Wood and the New Jersey Devils roll into Guaranteed Rate Field here in Chicago to battle the Blackhawks. Um, one year later, we're going to mm-hmm. go jump ahead to June 15th, 2011, um, Vancouver Riot, the, uh, mm-hmm. Game 7 loss to the Boston Bruins <clears throat> for the Vancouver Canucks, and, uh, this shook up a little, a little thing or two out west, Yeah, and, uh, as far as you're concerned, it ended, ended what could have been, a quite the dynasty. Well... What what I do find about this team was this is a team that, you know, even looking back on their roster, I don't really consider them to be an incredible team, um, not to take anything away from them. You know, they had unbelievable goaltending nonstop that year. They played a great defensive system, and, you know, kudos to them for what it was that they accomplished that year. My thought is that if they win the Stanley Cup, that, you know, I still think that they become more of a solidified dynasty than what they ended up being. And, you know, that next year they lose in the first round in five games to, I believe, the LA Kings who end up winning the Stanley Cup. And that kind of is what it is. But this was a team that never again really looked like that they could get back over the hump in the sense that everyone thought that they would every year. Everyone looked at them as a Stanley Cup favorite for the next probably three years, and what they did was they lost in the first round, they lost in the first round, uh, they fired Elaine Vigneault, and then they didn't make the playoffs. And it begun a chain of events that Changed the Vancouver Canucks, you know, as we knew them. Mike Gillis got fired, and, and you know, Corey Schneider gets traded, and we'll get to that in a bit. And it was just, to me, I think the Canucks had a core that could have kept going for years. And by losing that Game 7 against Boston, by losing it in the fashion that they did, by the city reacting the way that they did, I think that this was kind of hard for the Canucks to recover from. I think it was a lot of pressure to put on, you know, maybe the Sedins didn't feel it quite as much, but to put on Kessler, to put on Bieksa, to put on Luongo and Schneider and Vino and Sammy Sallow and whoever else it was, you know. It, it, was, it was a team that, again, never quite looked the same, and it was all because of essentially one game. You know, it came down to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final, and it could go one way or another, and it went 
about as bad as the Canucks could have imagined it going. Yeah, um, definitely. It, it this is another one where you know you there's kind of the the two sided coin here is is if Vancouver wins this cup, is Kessler still on the Canucks right now? Is he the guy in LTIR eating up a bunch of cap room for the Canucks? Is you know did they ever trade Alex Burrows and get you know whatever it is they got for him off of Ottawa? You know did, did, that's I think that's the fault in in some of the teams is is that they. They hang on to the, the the glory days a little too long, and it it ended a successful team, but it allowed a new team to get ushered in. I think quicker than would have been under the alternative um, of them winning the cup. And oh, I'm, big, big I'm going to sit. Here, I'm, I'm going to sit here and say that I'm I'm assuming Canucks fans would rather the cup. <laughs> Than Elias Patterson. Well, well, yeah, because and... here's the thing, right? Like, if they win the Stanley Cup that year, they win that game. It's years of glory, and they try to get back there. And you know, do they lose maybe as quickly every year? Maybe not. Like, there might be that extra drive. That might, might be that extra gear. Do the Kings ever win a cup? If the Canucks win the cup, you know, do the can the Canucks maybe knock out the Kings that year where the where the Kings got past them in five games? Maybe. You know, who's to say? Like, it, it could have been a matter of. Had they been more structured, more prepared for that moment, maybe they don't let the Kings fucking steamroll them the way that they did. Maybe it doesn't go that way. And so, like you're saying, is it year after year after trying to get back there, and by the time they decide to actually tear things down and rebuild, it's 2016 and not 2014, and maybe they don't get back to the playoffs till 2023, assuming that they actually do get back there before 2023. But then they make it in 2016. But I'm saying, like, with the new era, yeah. you know, like, with what they're going to be yeah. under Travis Green, presumably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, interesting to see it from both sides, for sure. But uh, one thing's for sure, uh, the city of Vancouver would have slept a whole lot better that night had it gone the other way. So. I was working midnights that night. I came home and watched the news and kind of, I guess, watched the riots. And I was like, yeah, this is kind of fucked up. Uh, December 17th, 2011, the Los Angeles Kings hired Daryl Sutter to replace uh, John Stevens and Terry Murray, who had led the team to a 15-14-4 record to uh, start the season. Not terrible. Good gravy. What a coaching staff that won the uh, Stanley Cup that year, eh? You got Daryl Sutter. You got John Stevens, you got Thunder Bay native Jamie Compton, and you have uh, the guy who played Jim Craig and Miracle Bill Ranford. What a coaching staff. Yes. Um, the same Bill Ranford that won four Stanley Cups with the Edmonton Oilers. Wow. Yeah, but he's Jim Craig and Miracle. Yeah. Found that out this week. Olympic gold medalist. <laughs> um, <laughs> Great movie. So the Los Angeles Kings hired Daryl Sutter, uh, immediately turned the season around, and uh, they go on to win the first Stanley Cup in franchise history. Mm -hmm. Again, an example of a team waiting a very long time to win a Stanley Cup. And don't you just love to see it? Wouldn't you love to see it? Sure. I would. Oh, you're... Oh, okay. Um... Yeah, no that that was um that was my favorite uh, 
That was my favorite NHL playoffs ever. Watching the Kings absolutely fucking steamroll every team was super fun. Uh, Mostly because uh, I took them to win the Stanley Cup on multiple occasions that year. I won a playoff pool. It was like a thousand bucks or something. And I had a great time. That was awesome. Uh, I I thought they were great to watch. And uh, I'm still pumped up that they won the Stanley Cup. And it was like fucking, that was like seven years ago, eight years ago now. It's great. Um, I, I think that Daryl Sutter was the right coach for that team at the right time. That was a team that needed Daryl Sutter specifically. And, you know, we've heard stories about the, you know, very, very mini dynasty that he started there in which the LA Kings became the best team in the NHL for about two and a half years. And even there, I would say there was a little bit of a break in 2013 where the Blackhawks were the best team in the history of time. Well, they they battled it out that conference final. They too. did. Like, and, the Kings could have went. But, the, but that's what I'm saying is like in an era where we look at teams with possession and, you know, Corsi and, and expected goals and things like that. And I watch the Kings every night and I have never seen a team where I just turned on, I turned on a game at Staples Center. It was, I always watched them at home. I have never seen a team just have the puck the entire fucking game and then they take a penalty. And then the other team would get like five shots and then you wouldn't hear from the other team for like 35 minutes. It was fucked. It happened every time I would watch them and then like, worst case scenario, they'd be tied after 60 minutes and then just Jeff Carter would fucking score in overtime and it was done. And it was always Jeff Carter. This team was the most like structured, organized hockey team that I've ever seen in my life. And kudos to them for harnessing the way that they played hockey because there wasn't a ton of skill. This was a team that just knew how to play as a unit for 60 minutes and it was super fun to watch. Yeah. Um, and it all starts with Daryl Sutter. Yeah, leads to a cup a couple of seasons, a couple of years later as you mentioned. Uh, my favorite story about Daryl Sutter with that era was um I want to say who was it? I'm trying to think of who it was. Um, anyway, someone got traded to the LA Kings. And they walked into the into the Staples Center the, the one day. And the first person they saw was Daryl Sutter. And Daryl Sutter ha- handed him a binder and said, read this tonight. And then he didn't look at it. He went and, and practiced and everything. And he got home and he opened the binder and it was stats about every referee in the NHL. And he told them to study every referee in the NHL, what calls they do call, which calls they don't call. And get to know it, because every night he's going to tell them who the referees are, and he wants them to know what kind of shit they can and can't get away with. And I think it's brilliant. That was, sorry, the player was traded that season, the cup win? He was traded to, no, it was just during the Daryl Sutter era. Honestly, I... I for some reason, I actually think it was Keaton Ellerby, but I could be wrong. Hmm. Anyway. Yeah, there you go. Yep. Um, I don't have the date. Oh, yeah, it's right here. Okay, so we've got June 30th, 2013. Uh, yes, that's a good one. Uh, the New Jersey Devils send a first-round pick to the Vancouver Canucks. For Corey Schneider. 
Um, now, I I don't have as much to say about this one as I think you do, because this, this was something that you uh, were uh, interested in talking about. So I'll, I'll kind of let you uh, dictate the conversation on this. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Devils were a force in the 2000s in the sense that, you know, they only won one Stanley Cup, but they were a team that every year was kind of in the hunt. They were a team that was feared. And, you know, they had a lot of first-round exits, i got to say, but it was a team that was always successful in the regular season that you could never really count them out completely. And, you know, they lost in the Stanley Cup Final in 2012 to the LA Kings. Uh, 2012-2013 happened to miss the playoffs. And they decided that at that point they needed a goaltender and they went out and traded for Corey Schneider, who had been unbelievable in Vancouver. And what this did for me was, at the time, we all thought it was a good move. He's the heir apparent to Broder's net. And what everyone kind of thought was going to happen was it was going to smooth the transition from one goalie to another and smooth the transition for the team. And the team would kind of just keep chugging along. And what everyone kind of failed to really recognize at the time was the makeup of the New Jersey Devils, which was, you know, that team, they would be led in points by Yarmer Yager, who was 41 at the time. Patrick Eliash was 37. Merrick Zidlicki was 36. And these are guys that were contributing them for every night. Like, this was a team that got old really fast. It shouldn't ever sneak up on you in life, and it really shouldn't sneak up on you in the NHL. But by acquiring Corey Schneider, what it did was kind of solidify the fact that it was no longer Martin Bruder's net. It was no longer Martin Bruder's team. And that these were no longer the New Jersey Devils how we knew them. And we were maybe clinging the scraps there for a few years. But, you know, this was the move that I think solidified the, the fact that the Martin Bruder era, even though he was still there, the Martin Bruder era had ended in New Jersey, and this was a different team from what we knew it. And, and you know, Lou Lou got canned, and and Peter Bedo- Peter DeBoer got canned, and and things just kind of went on from there. But to me, this was kind of the trade that solidified that the two thousands were over for the Devils. The Devils were going to be a very different franchise from how we knew them, and it takes us to where we are to go back to the top of the show, where you know. Taylor Hall is getting traded, and he's by far their best forward. And John Hines is getting fired, and he's still a good coach. And it's like, where, like, where, where did this team go mm-hmm. in the last six years since they made that Schneider trade? What really happened in New Jersey? And the answer is not a hell of a lot. So this is a team that, even though they made a good trade, and Schneider had a lot of good years there. That was kind of the moment that was the beginning of the end of the New Jersey Devils the way we knew it. And yeah. it's 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 not a direct result from that trade, but that was kind of the moment where things turned for the Devils. From uh, 1997 until the uh, year they lost to the Kings in the finals in 2012, uh, they had uh, 14 seasons of 95 points or more. Um, in that stretch, uh, only once missing the playoffs. So, uh, 
dominant, dominant run by that franchise for a long, long time. And uh, hasn't really been the same since. It doesn't feel like the same NHL that I, I knew growing up. Uh, where you know the big bad devils were out there, and you always had to worry about them, and and uh, look at them now. I'll never forget playing them in the playoffs and fucking battling back from a five to one deficit for the Leafs, like with nine minutes left, tying the game at five and going to overtime, and watching Aki Berg fire a fucking puck into Randy McKay's shin pads, and watching him come down and score an overtime goal on a fucking breakaway. I'll never forget that. And from that moment on, I've always hated the New Jersey Devils. <laughs> Fuck yeah, that team. Rightfully so. Um, They've had a lot of head coaches, eh? April... John oh. Hines is the longest-lasting head coach that they've had in terms of the amount of seasons that he coached there since Jacques Lemaire in the 90s. <laughs> That's wild. That's fucked up. Okay, so that uh, takes us up to uh, April 11th, 2014. Um... One of the happiest days of my life. <laughs> um, the Toronto Maple Leafs hire Brendan Shanahan as president uh, of hockey operations and uh, begins to immediately eradicate the past 30 years of failure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not very often... Where a player whom I loved as a player um, continues to make me love them off the ice. Usually guys I love come out and end up, you know, saying that CTE isn't real or something like that. Like fucking Dustin Penner or some shit. And it's like, ah, shit. I don't like you anymore. You know? These guys always have a find a way, or always find a way to make me hate them. But Brendan Shanahan was a guy uh, who I loved as a player, and boy, oh boy, do I love this guy as an executive. Didn't Did, love him with player safety. Didn't love him as a player. Kind of lost. Really, Whew, man. Did I, did I ever have time for Brendan Shanahan? Mm. My God. Yeah. No. Uh, um. Un. Un. Uh, unbelievable hire. Yeah. Uh, the, the dude has been... Wow. Brings in uh, Mike Babcock as head coach. Yep, great hire. We, we talked about that. Um, brings in Lou Lamorello at the end of the uh, summer. As fine, GM. fine hire. <laughs> two two guys that knew what they were doing in the positions it's that fine. they were given. Yeah. Um, I mean, we all know, you know, I think the best thing that Lou ever did for the franchise, he goes out and he gets Freddie Anderson. He made the uh, Phil Kessel trade, which is one of those necessary evils. Um, One thing I've loved about Brendan Shanahan from the beginning to even right now is he he is very clearly involved in what they're doing. Mm -hmm. You don't hear from him that often. And when you do hear from him, other than one instance, he knows how to approach these things. He always seems to come in. He always seems to say the right thing. He always has the approach that you want to hear from a Toronto fan. You know. The Leafs go out, they fire Mike Babcock, it, you know, Kyle comes in and says, well, you know, this is, uh, we're going to make the move, we think this is the right move to make, and we're just going to move forward and try to do the best we can, and, you know, all the all this nice fluffy stuff, and Brendan Shanahan comes out there and says, yeah, we got a lot of fucking work to do. That's that's it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we have, we have a lot of stuff to do where we think this is the right move, but 
this is not the end of an era. This is the beginning of more work that we have to do. Like, yeah. that's all this is. And everything he's kind of done and publicly said, other than the the whole, well, we took discounts in Detroit bullshit. Like, other than that, he's been great as the president of the Leafs, I think. Yeah. Um, brought in a little kid out of Sault Ste. Marie by the name of Cal Dubas. Uh, he brought expanded. in direction. Like, when was the last time the Leafs felt like they had direction? Like, the early 2000s, kind of. But not even really when you look back on it. It was like, yeah, yeah like we had Sundin, and it's like, ah, fucking just put anyone out there and they'll probably be fine. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so who? It's like, well, I don't know. Who was that guy that scored the goal in 98 in the in the Olympics? You mean Robert Reichel? Yeah. Well, let's trade him. What are we going to give up to get him? I don't know. Just Berezin and Markov. You know, Pat. Oh, you mean like a 40. Shootouts in the NHL. Almost a 40 goal scorer and our best defensive defenseman? No, no, no. Not Yuskevich. We'll trade the other one. Okay. Or we could just keep them both, but sure. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Uh, since 2014, the Leafs have uh, started the slow build back to respectability um, and are still searching for it. So, uh, Without the hire, they don't end up with Austin Matthews. They don't end up with Mitch Marner and William Nylander. And they don't end up the Leafs that we know them right now. You know, without that hiring, there was no direction there and there was no real reason to believe that there was going to be any direction in the future. And if I remember correctly... And I could be wrong. Was Shanahan a recommendation of Tim Lywicki, or did Tim Lywicki not have anything to do with that? I didn't think Lewicki had anything to no? do with it. Okay, because I know Shanahan replaced Lywicki, but I thought Lywicki kind of helped search for his successor. But I could be wrong. Maybe I, I just yeah. I don't remember anything specifically. It's the best thing Lywicki yeah. did during well, his time in Toronto, possibly. Um. All right, so the next, this next one, um, June 26, uh, 2015, uh, the Edmonton Oilers uh, get the first over. Nope, not that year. Uh, oh, nope. Lewicki hired no, uh, Lewicki hired uh, Shanahan. Oh. Okay, sorry, continue. Um, Oilers get McDavid uh, first overall, June 26, 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, Hadn't made the playoffs in over a decade, and in his uh, second full season with the team, uh, takes them to the second round. Bit of a heartbreaker there for them. A little bit of a regression uh, in the years that followed that, but they're they're back. They're they seem to be uh, working their way towards another playoff spot. And uh, Connor David, I think, uh, is undeniably. Uh, not only the best player in the world, but uh, the only reason that the Edmonton Oilers are functioning. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys look at uh, advanced stats, but holy fuck, this team is bad without him on the ice. It's fucked. Um, yeah, whatever. I don't know. Like, I'm not really as into this one as you are quite yet because I'm really still very skeptical about the Edmonton Oilers, but... Um, what I will say is that Connor McDavid is very clearly the best player in the National Hockey League. Good for him. Uh, I think he's a good dude. I cheer for him. But on the other hand, I kind of cheer against his team because I think that 
they owe him better than what they're giving him. And I think it's unfair to run him into the fucking ground like they are. So, um, cheers to Connor McDavid, cheers to Oilers fans, I think it's great. But what I see in the Oilers is, you know, we're talking about franchise changing moments. And in a way, the Oilers are completely opposite from where they were 2009-2010 in the sense that they were a team that always got criticized for never having superstars. You remember them in the 2006 Stanley Cup run? It was Chris Pronger was the closest thing they had to a superstar, and he was still very good, but he was not Hart Trophy level Chris Pronger anymore. And they were criticized for never having a superstar, but they always had depth. And now they have the best player in the world, and they have the worst fuck like they're one of the only teams uh, that I would say are worse than the devils in terms of their depth it is god awful right so but uh, like to, it is franchise changing in yeah. the sense that they now have the best player in the world definitely yeah and and like that was what got them back to the playoffs you know it wasn't the years of depth that toiled well, in the bottom of the standings it was the one guy that said okay I'm going to do it cuz no one else is going to do it and they got him there, and he's he's going to get them there again this year. So I, I don't think we can chalk up to a, you know, a, a one-off. He's he's what twenty-two years old, twenty-one, twenty-two years old. He, like it's just going to be a nice seven-year run that I think the Edmonton Oilers are going to have to enjoy. Uh, God knows what this kid's going to offer. Yeah, I I don't know. I I I see a team that didn't make the playoffs the other years that he played in the league and it's really easy to believe that they're not going to make the playoffs in the future if they don't do things differently though to me possibly i i honestly would not be shocked if they missed the playoffs this year i understand the the lead that they've built up and it would be a catastrophic collapse if they don't but they are they are built to have a catastrophic collapse the way the things are going if if he's healthy i I think it's not really a an option, but if you know if if he goes down, if Drysaddle goes down, then then definitely we're talking about uh, you know them missing the playoffs. Yeah, so. they do like Drysaddle, McDavid for sure. Drysaddle not quite as much, but uh, Dry like McDavid averages uh, almost a minute more than the next forward in terms of average ice time, which is Patrick Kane, who is also uh, being run into the ground by his team because they have to. Mm-hmm. Um, jump ahead a couple of years here. Uh, June twenty first, two thousand and seventeen. The Pittsburgh Penguins uh, expose trade Mark Andre Fleury to the Vegas Golden Knights, as we just kind of found out before recording this. Um, technically, I guess traded <laughs> along with a second round pick to go to Vegas. Um, which, when you think about it, sounds kind of crazy. Yeah, in case you don't remember it, the, uh, yeah. Pittsburgh gave Vegas a second round pick in what what will be this year's coming draft. Uh, and they said, hey, can you take Marc-Andre Fleury? And Vegas is like, oh, you mean a legitimate number one goaltender? Yes, for sure, we will do that burden for you. Yes, we will. We will like it for sure. Yes, we will. And you'll help us reach the cap floor? Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. So uh, things worked out 
good for Vegas, needless to say. Things also worked out fine for Pittsburgh in the short term because they won the cup that that year afterwards, but no, no they did not. Never mind. Yeah, this is, oh, it didn't work out good then. Yeah, this this is like this is kind of like possibly the end of the Pittsburgh Penguins as we know them kind of theory here, where they put their money on Matt Murray, who I think we all would have put our money on Matt Murray at the time, and uh, he had a good year the next year, but since then has slowly started to struggle uh, for what could possibly be many different reasons, and. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like Off he, and on, he, anyway, he, I, I thought he should have got a Vesna nomination last year because he was brilliant in the second half. But, um, yeah, I mean, this is what, were you going to add to that? Oh, just, just that, like, this could have signaled, and, and this is, we're getting into that territory now where we're only a couple years removed, so time is going to kind of help, you know, give us the bigger picture here. But this could really be the end of... Uh, the Crosby, you know, glory years, and and uh, you know, Pittsburgh, you know, may have won their last cup, so to speak, or you know, at least in this era. Uh, Kessel's gone now. Um, they've gone through, you know, the, the placement of their GM, and I don't know. I'm looking at this team, thinking, you know, what's the cupboards are pretty bare, and uh, meanwhile, Vegas with your goalie. Goes to the Sonic Cup Finals. They're, you know, arguably a top three team in terms of Stanley Cup contenders uh, the last uh, two seasons, and uh, just kind of makes you makes you kind of wonder. Looking looking back two years later, sure. Now James and I took a very very different approach to uh, how to approach the Pittsburgh Penguins and franchise changing moments in the two thousand tens. Because um, my franchise moment takes me back, a changing moment takes me back to July 1st, 2015. I'm sitting at Rogers Center in Toronto, Ontario, having a nice cold brew with my buddies watching the Boston Red Sox and the Toronto Blue Jays. And over the Jumbotron comes a notification that Toronto Maple Leaf forward Phil Kessel has been traded to the Pittsburgh Penguins along with Tyler Biggs and Tim Erickson and a conditional second-round pick in exchange for Kasperi Kapanen and Scott Harrington and Nick Spaling and a conditional first-round pick that the Leafs traded to Anaheim for Sam Steele. But they got Anderson, kind of. Um, Anyway, to me... It's hard to say which one of us takes the glass half full and glass half empty here because on one hand, you're going with the whole if the Penguins keep flurry, maybe they win another cup sort of approach. Whereas I'm going with the approach that if they don't get Kessel and they don't, another uh, notable, in December 2015, they fire Mike Johnston and hire Mike Sullivan... I don't think that they win another Stanley Cup with Sidney Crosby at all. Well, with Crosby and Malkin anyway. Without Kessel and Sullivan. Because Sullivan was... I I don't think there's any denying he's hands down the best coach that the Penguins have had in the Sidney Crosby era. And he's found a way to get 
enough out of Crosby, enough out of Malkin. And sure, he had Phil Kessel. He had three unbelievable players on three different lines. But he found a way to make that work. And I just, I genuinely find it unbelievable that people think that the Penguins would have won that. This was a team that was, they were bigger chokers to me than the Capitals in a sense in the early 2000s because this was a team that had had won. The pieces supposedly were there. And they, like the Capitals, were not even fucking close to winning another cup other than the years where they beat the Capitals and then another team would just beat them anyway. Like this was, they were the blind leading the blind in the sense of we're talking teams in the Crosby versus Ovechkin, the superstar sort of battle in the East. Like they were not legitimate contenders to me ever in the early 2010s until they brought in Mike Sullivan, till they brought in Phil Kessel. And we saw the turnaround. It took a little bit under Mike Sullivan. It took, you know, like it does with these new coaches, about three weeks to a month. And they started winning games. And then we see the HBK line. And then we see, you know, these developments. And and this team changed dramatically. And to me, it starts with the Kessel trade and sort of ends with the Sullivan hiring. So you talk about them maybe being able to win another cup. I'm just kind of happy for them that they got the two that they did in those back-to-back years that they were able to go at least three cups in the Crosby era. Hmm. Uh, Do you think the magic of Matt Murray is there regardless of who's coaching or Phil Kessel? Um, No. No? Okay. No, I don't. I know I just sat here and t- talked about how they, you know, maybe should have kept Flurry, but uh, well, he did have two remarkable postseasons. Uh, I'm uh, basically what I'm saying is I don't think they win the cup without those guys. Yeah. Uh, to to go into a debate about it being a magic story and Matt Murray or anything like that is kind of a different conversation. But um, I just I genuinely don't think they win the cup. Okay. Um, on to two teams that have well. Uh, it doesn't really work as a segue, but uh, two teams that have recent experience of being awful. Uh, the uh, Colorado Avalanche and the Ottawa Senators mm. teamed up on November 5th, 2017, uh, in Sweden, no less, for a trade that sent Matt Duchesne um, to the Ottawa Senators, uh, sent Kyle Turris to Nashville, Andrew Hammond and Shane Bowers and a first-round pick to Colorado, uh, Samuel Gerard and Vladislav Kamenev to Colorado from Nashville as well. That's a lot to take in. But uh, arguably, uh, did two very different things for the Avalanche and the Senators. Uh, teams that were at very opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of where they were at when they made the trade. The Senators, of course, coming off of the you know, conference final loss to Pittsburgh the year before. Um, considered themselves something of a, a contender. Um, the Avalanche were going through the motions of a rebuild and had this uh, young Nathan McKinnon fellow. Uh, were looking to try to build around him and uh, wanted to move on from the Matt Duchesne era that never really seemed to pan out. And uh, what better a fit in the world could there be, they said to each other while being the only two NHL teams in the country at the time. Um, 
didn't really go so well for Ottawa. Uh, immediately fell off the uh, contender wagon that season as they plummeted to the uh, bottom of the standings in the process giving up their first mm-hmm. round pick. How dare you. Um, that uh, they would pass on for some reason to the year after. Um, which uh, I, I guess in hindsight is is an interesting debate. You know, would you rather have Brady Kachuk or would you have rather have uh, Bowen Bison? Bowen Bison? By, by... Bowen Byram. 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 Bowen Byram. I knew Bison didn't sound right for some reason. But in any case... Bowen Bison. Uh, the Avalanche have turned themselves into one of the uh, elite teams in the league, while the Ottawa Senators have faltered uh, around the bottom of the standings consistently, I, I, I shall give them credit for, um, and in the process, losing Matt Duchesne. Mm-hmm. In, in Just in your uh, hypothetical, I do have to answer that I would rather have Bowen Byram, but that is not any disrespect to Brady Kachuk, because I, I just genuinely believe Bowen Byram's a fucking ridiculous prospect. But Fair enough. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't have much to add. Like, like my whole point is, is I, I don't, I, I don't really think of the Colorado Avalanche in the sense that I find this overly franchise changing. Just because I think it was a situation out of their control, and I don't really think that this was a decision that they necessarily made one way or another. Like, I, I, I think in, in their ideal world. Matt Duchesne just keeps his fucking mouth shut and plays hockey and they don't have to worry about, you know, him complaining and growing unhappy and ideally he's just happy there. And, you know, that is, it just, it just is what it is. Some people don't like fucking working in certain places or playing certain places. And that is what it is. But like, it's, it's more the idea that, you know, the the Avalanche receive all of these assets mm -hmm. that help expedite the process of their their rebuild and they're not you know stuck with matt duchene who maybe leaves as a free agent like he does for for sure but but my my point is that you know ideally matt duchene was able to flourish in colorado and that was out of their control that he wasn't able to flourish there i think because uh, listen i'm not of this mind but i would say pretty much every hockey fan i seem to talk to thinks this way so i'm gonna make the argument this way that well, Matt Duchesne was an incredibly elite hockey player, and how dare they trade him? And, well, because I don't think Matt Duchesne's very good, and I couldn't believe he made the fucking Olympic team. And, you know, like, it is, like, that's just been my opinion on him since day one. But, um, yeah, like, you know, it, it was kind of out of their control. They had to do what they had to do, and obviously their return has helped speed things forward. But in an ideal world, they just had what people seem to think they had when Matt Duchesne, which is like a fucking forty goal scorer, or whatever people thought Matt Duchesne is. I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah, I uh, mean, like they they were the worst team of the cap era. Mm-hmm. I mean, like we're talking worst. I'm just talking in a hypothetical world. On purpose. In a hypothetical world, everything worked out fine with Duchesne, but it kind of didn't, and that's that was why they had to trade him in the first place. You know. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I just uh, this is one of those issues. Just to me, I never cared while it was happening. I really don't care now that it's over. Okay. Mm-hmm. I will say with the Ottawa Senators, uh, 
this did alter their existence a little bit more than I think it did Colorado's just in the sense that it begun a, a shitstorm of events that we will probably talk about next week on that top 10. Yeah. All uh, right. May 7th, 2018, the uh, Washington Capitals slay the Dragon. Uh, Genny Kuznetsov scores the goal, mm-hmm. gets them by the pit. Happier Penguins. times. <laughs> and um, on their way to a Stanley Cup that season. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, franchise defining, almost. Uh, not so much even, you know, you, the last 10 years. This, this is like going back to. 73 here when they were you know a, a franchise beginning mm-hmm. out like this this is probably the moment and I I couldn't even tell you who scored the Stanley Cup winning goal for the Washington Capitals because as far as I'm concerned it was this Kuznetsov goal it was Devontae Smith Pelly okay but... I didn't know that just found that out yeah cool um to me this 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 was the fucking goal that won them the Stanley Cup like it was one of those again i i to go back to it i never really bought the bullshit narrative that they can never beat the penguins like obviously they couldn't but i don't think it had as much to do with it being the penguins just in the fact that it was a team that played a better series than them every year they managed to get past them but it is obviously an absolutely huge mental aspect to get past this team that seems to haunt you so they got past the Penguins, and it's it's huge that this goal happened to be against the Penguins. To me, they don't win the Stanley Cup, obviously, if they don't slay that dragon with the Penguins, though. Like like that that it seemed to be something that was bothering them. Although mm-hmm. I th- I th- you know I think it's maybe a bit of an overrated narrative in in one sense. But um, just to go off your point, I I had the Capitals on mine twice, and initially what me and James were going to do were compare our lists and and. And it, we decided to just combine it as a, a through-line top 10. But to me, I have to cite the date, which is May 26, 2014, the date that the Capitals hired Barry Trotz, as to me is the moment where this all kind of started to happen. You know, I don't think the Capitals are in a, in a situation where they could ever really beat a serious contending team without hiring Barry Trotz and honestly at the time I was kind of like okay well you know Trotz is a good coach but what has Trotz really done and which was not much in Nashville in the sense that of like a big accomplishment right but they were good every year what he did was he taught the Capitals how to be a unit like I was talking earlier about being a unit he taught them how to play together how to back check, how to play defensively, how to do all these things that they didn't initially know how to do with the intensity that they should know how to do it. And um, Trotz got them over the hump. I think the Kuznetsov goal was that fuel to the fire um, that had already been lit years ago by hiring Trotz. Yeah. Now, what I think what I think is interesting with the with the Washington Capitals too is like Trotz leaves, and 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 this is still a team that's that's very good. You know, this is a team that I still look at as a as a Stanley Cup contender. You know what the Washington Capitals are for me is the Washington Capitals now without Barry Trotz. It's like an episode of Bar Rescue. You ever watch Bar Rescue there? I don't. You know how John Taffert, well, you never watch it. You ever watch, like, Kitchen Nightmares with Gordon Ramsay? No. No, nothing? Okay. Well, basically, you ever watch Nathan For You with Nathan Fielder? Yeah. You've seen that. Okay. So basically what happens is on Bar Rescue or Nathan For You, 
is John Taffer, or for your purposes, Nathan Fielder, comes into this failing business, and he's kind of like, ah, I'm going to renovate the place, and I'm going to make sure, like, I'm going to put you back on track kind of thing. And then, so what John Taffer does, or for your purposes, Nathan Fielder, is John Taffer, or Nathan Fielder, tears down, like, all the wallpaper, and, like, fucking gets rid of all the stupid wood on the bar, and, like, tears it all up, and renovates the whole fucking place, and, you know, overhauls the menu, fires any of the useless people that aren't contributing to the team. And basically, they come back in on the final day, and John Taffer's like, yeah, like, here, here's your new bar, and here's your new menu, and we're going to open tonight and make sure everything goes smoothly. And then everything goes smooth the first night. And then John Taffer's like, yeah, I, well, I, I host a reality show. I, I have to leave. And then basically hands the old manager his keys back, and he's like, yeah, you remember everything I just told you to do? Just fucking do that, and everything will be fine. So the Washington Capitals, to me, is Barry Trotz's John Taffer, and Todd Reardon, their current coach, is like the old manager, where it's just like, yeah, just, you remember everything I just told you to do? Just do that, and you guys will be fine. And Todd Reardon's just like, you ever notice how he's just behind the bench, like all nervous and bald? Checking his cue cards. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so basically the Capitals are an episode of Bar Rescue where I'm hoping the bar stays open because the bar seems like a lot of fun. And this makes Kuznetsov the sexy bartender? Uh, Kuznetsov? What's Kuznetsov? Maybe the uh, the head chef? Sous chef, maybe? It's a lot of praise for a guy that snorts a lot of cocaine. Yeah, maybe he's just the bartender then. Yeah. Yeah. All right, number 10, uh, and the most recent on our list. I guess Ovechkin's the head chef. I hope so. He is the captain. Todd Rudin's the... Manager. Todd Rudin's the owner, and Ovechkin's the manager. Right? Yeah, I don't watch the show. You, you, you tell me. <laughs> he worked in a restaurant, though. Yeah. Worked? <laughs> I gotta let you go. Uh, December 16th, 2018, I, I think your date's a little further back than mine, but uh, the St. Louis Blues call up their fourth string goaltender, oh, yeah. Jordan Bennington, oh. um, and uh, immediately uh, save their season, which ends up being a Stanley Cup winning season, so it's a good season to save. Yeah. Yeah. 24-5-1. Uh, in his 32 games played down the stretch. Uh, the guy ended up getting second place in the Calder vote for playing less than half a season. Uh, he finished top five in Vesna and top ten in Hart. Not bad for the fourth string kid out of the ECHL. I don't know where he was beginning of the year, but I know where he is now. Mm-hmm. Um Obviously, again, this this kind of goes with the Capitals in the sense that this is possibly that franchise-defining you know season. Uh, you know they they finally get their cup. Oh look, another team that waited a long, long time to win a Stanley Cup. What yeah, joyous an boy, occasion! You're really beaten the you're 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 very careful about how you selected your top ten, eh? Well, you know, if only the Canucks could have done it, we would have had the trifecta. Sync would have been good. Five good options. D- dick, dictecta. Dictecta. What's a ten? What is a ten? No, f- for five. All right. Yeah. Um. 
My date goes back to November 20th, 2018, in which the St. Louis Blues hired Craig Berube and fired Mike Yo. Not hired Craig Berube, I guess. Uh, promoted. promoted him, sort of. Interim. Is it is it a promotion if you're interim? Um, if basically you're, told if, Craig... If your sergeant gets shot in the battlefield and you're just leaving the yeah. platoon, is that an upgrade? Yeah, or? it's like on Bar Rescue where they fired the manager of the restaurant and told the assistant manager that he has to manage now. And it's like, okay. And it's like, and if you don't manage, you're fired too. And it's like, okay. So, uh, to me, like if they don't hire Craig Barube specifically and keep Yo in or hire someone else. My point is that although he was doing well, Bennington did not enter the year as the San Antonio Rampage's number one goalie. And so maybe it's not Bennington that gets recalled. It's Vili Husso or Jared Carroll. Carroll, who we've seen in the NHL and is maybe Wait. not the best. Wait, what, what's what? Why wouldn't he get recalled? My point is that maybe they go with a different goalie from the minors, even though Bennington was doing that well. It's just like maybe the Blues piece it together under Yo, or maybe they don't do well with another coach and he keeps the goaltenders and tells them to trade for a guy. It's just. It's a lot of, like, I don't well, know if Bennington gets recalled necessarily if it's a different coach. Okay. So, I just kind of track it back where, like, even if Bennington gets recalled and it is a different coach, do they do that much better? I don't know that for sure. So, to me, it all started with the coaching change and they kind of went from there. Okay. I, I was of the mind that Bennington was the only healthy guy to call up when he got called up, but um, his numbers were much better. That is for sure. But yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I have no idea about an injury. I've never heard that before. Yeah. Okay. I, I thought he was the only healthy guy in the minors under contract when he got called up and was supposed to be a you know short term fix while Allen got better and all that. But. Like that's not to take anything away from Baruby, who I think obviously was a big factor on. on yeah, the I don't. I I'm not gonna lie to you. I uh, I I think Bennington is a good goaltender. I don't think he's a great goaltender. I think the Blues are a good team. I don't think that they're a great team. I think that these are all factors that this group needs to work as a, as I mentioned before, unit. And I don't think things go their way if the roster isn't made up a certain way the goaltending needs to be a certain guy the coaching needs to be a certain guy and it's all kind of come together for them Hmm. and to me it started with the coaching change and Bennington was the was he the cherry on top what is what is he maybe he's the whipped cream on top maybe the whipped cream and the cherry Um, I don't know. What's the most important part of the Sunday? Because <laughs> they it's weren't the winning cream. with Allen. <laughs> no, you know, you know, you know, you know what Bennington is? Is Bennington is the um, what's it called? The glass that you put the, the bowl. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. The bowl yeah. before it was just a countertop full of ice cream and fucking whipped cream. And it was just an it was empty, melting. It was an empty, vacant 
dusty thing on the shelf. Sure. And one day they thought, let's put some ice cream inside. It was like that. instead of putting it in a bowl, they put it on the barbecue. <laughs> Like we gotta figure this out quick. <laughs> it's gonna melt. From hot buttered rum to barbecued Sundays, uh, for all your food takes, this is the Laced Up Hockey Podcast. Hey, yeah, and it's it's December, so uh, you know, um, enjoy your holiday seasons and and whatnot. And uh, you know, we'll be here with you during the Christmas season. Uh, we are going to be doing a top 10 related to the end of the decade as we move along here through the month. Um, we're probably going to do a World Junior episode. It's a matter of hammering out how it's going to work. It's going to be an interesting sort of, um, recording schedule, I think, this year. And whether or not we want to do, uh, a preview in and of itself... And as a bonus episode, or if we're going to do it all as kind of like a one big episode one week, it's, it's going to be hard to say. We are um, um, we are scheduled to record on Gold Medal Sunday. That's fucked. So, During the game? Well, if we're not working. I'm booking it up. There you go. Um, yeah, that's laced up for this week, I think. Right, we're good? Yeah, I'm uh, that was it. I'm, I'm going down and battery power real quick. Cool, here, those, so. those were your top ten yeah. Uh, moments. Yeah. Uh, follow us on Twitter. You can like us on Facebook. You can find our content on Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. I'm not even looking at the microphone while I'm talking. I'm just looking off into the distance. Portugal Radio, Clomper. Does uh, Airdale have an app yet? Can we find us on, on their app? Fuck, I was supposed to do an ad this week. <laughs> Or a weekly thing for a reason. Uh, I put it so far at the end of the other episode the last time I did it, too. I can't just do one now. Yeah. No. Well, this will be a free one, I guess. I won't bill them for this one. Airedale. www.outpostcamps.com for more information and begin planning your trip to Airedale today. I'm telling you, this place is perfect. You're going to make friends in no time. Get me!
home Like a thousand stories Begging not to go untold That in the lights a hidden dream For our shallow Yeah.